Why, hello, friends. It's another episode of The Incredible Halt. Just in time for the holidays, I had the pleasure of sitting down with Brian Kelly from Brian Kelly Photography, and we talked for about an hour about the way in which you create art. And as I was talking to Brian, the thing that it reminded me of continually is the work of Stephen Pressfield. Um, and one of the books I read every single year, and I highly recommend it if you've got somebody on your list who is just hard to buy for, this is a great Great gift for them. It's Stephen Pressfield's The War of Art. This whole conversation reminds me of Stephen Pressfield's The War of Art and the act of moving from the amateur to going pro and how fast you can do that. A lot of awesome lessons. We talk a lot about photography. So fair warning, if you're not into photography, um, there are still a ton of lessons to learn here, but we do talk a lot and nerd out a little bit about using a camera. So with that, I hope you enjoy another episode of the Incredible Halt Podcast. There are aspects of my personality that I can't control. Don't make me angry. You wouldn't like me when I'm angry. The Incredible Halt Podcast. Now might be a really good time for you to get angry. That's my secret. I'm always angry. Don't tell television to believe that one day we'd all be millionaires and movie gods and rock stars. The Incredible Hulk. Besides, nobody's getting hurt. Podcast. Maybe if I can control it, I can use it. Hear the music. So, Brian, how are you? I'm good as I swallow my coffee. That's yeah. well, that's the way we have to start this. You know, um, we've been trying to do this for probably the better part of eight months, so I want to thank you um, for carving out some time right near the holidays that oh. we can sit down and do this, but thank you. Oh, it's my pleasure. It's been, uh, it's been good to um, finally, finally loop up, and I'm looking forward to seeing what we dive into. So let's start with, you know, we were talking before we started recording, is it, I think a lot of people, when you get to a certain level, you being at that level, that you have a thing that you're known for, kind of in the zeitgeist, they're like, yeah, it must be nice, you're the M&M photographer. Like... <laughs> For people who don't know who Brian Kelly is, what this process is, how you got to the studio, like, can we go all the way back to like when do you pick up your first camera and what, you know, what is that like and when do you fall in love with that and get to? Sure. Yeah. We'll go all the way back. No, um, I, I think um, early on I had an interest in photography. I had an uncle who lived out of state who bought me a camera. Uh, he owned kind of a camera shop in a developing place down in Georgia. Didn't see this uncle a lot. I wasn't necessarily, you know, super close with him. But, sure. there was, you know, he was a nice guy who sent me a camera when I was about 10 years old. Film camera. And I, and I uh, it was probably way too much for a kid that age. But, <laughs> it, you know, it was a 35 millimeter film and had a manual focus fixed lens on it. And, um and I shot a bunch of photos and uh, just sort of abstract things. I took pictures of uh, like the curtains in our house and like a scraggly tree in our backyard. And then um, <laughs> a, like trash cans at the end of our driveway. They were very like minimal, very <laughs> abstract if I were to look at them today. But um, my mom uh, processed them and got them through like the Fox photo drive through. Gotcha. Yeah, you know, yeah, this yeah. is back in the seventies, late seventies, early eighties, probably. And she said, uh, 
don't take pictures like that. Don't waste my money. <laughs> <laughs> so she didn't appreciate the art. And I was literally probably more interested in hearing the camera click, click and moving and everything. So they weren't thought out. But I think in some ways you could look back at it and like it could twist that narrative and say, look how like William Eggleston-esque is a, you know, famous like abstracts or, you know, sort of minimal <laughs> photographer. And I was brilliant before I even knew it. But then I really didn't pursue photography in, until my mid-20s. Um, it took, took a while. I'm 50 now and uh, just turned 50 this year. And Congratulations. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, we'll see if we get to 51. You know, every year is it's a tightrope. <laughs> we... Um, but she, uh, so then fast forward to, I got through high school, um, went to Northview High School on the northeast side here at Grand Rapids, and then um, kind of dabbled in college, didn't do very well, uh, really struggled with what I wanted to Where'd do. Where'd you go? I was at GRCC a year, I went to Grand Valley for a year, just kind of basically ended up just kind of drifting off and, and dropping out and started working and started waiting tables and... I was working at UPS, loading trucks at a, at a hub, you know, just right. like good, yeah, yeah. good, good, solid work, you know, put sweat on your brow. Right. And, yes. and uh, I think everyone <laughs> should work in a restaurant for uh, at least a year or two of their life growing up. So um, it might change the way they act around other people, right? Like <laughs> they'll be better tippers and they'll be more uh, empathetic towards Maybe, yes. all kinds of people. <laughs> Maybe a, da a da dad kinder. <laughs> yeah, very nice. Yeah, I truly believe that. Both my daughters uh, have worked in the food industry. Uh, my older daughters have. So uh, not because I made them, but because it was it's good work. And uh, I encourage them to do it once the opportunities came up. Anywho, um, so uh, dabbled in college, left college, uh, didn't know what I was going to do, except I got into this um, training program for M Meyer store managers, like at a department level. Sure. Yeah, and yeah. So I got into this management training program, started got working. Got to do planograms from, and things like that? Yeah, planograms, uh, restore resets, do some hiring. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's a point of purchase amazing. displays, oh, all those things. Yeah. It's incredibly, it's awesome. But. Um, one of the man, one of the things I managed was a one hour photo lab, and uh, I was just processing and printing film. Like you know, this is pre digital. Sure. Still, this is early '90s, mid '90s, and uh, but I didn't want to work at a Meyer store, and I wasn't all that interested in photography even then. And it was just a job I did, and I managed a, a photo lab and tried to keep it profitable for my store in Muskegon. And um, so I eventually moved down to Ohio with Meyer, helping out move, uh, opening up some new stores in Dayton, Ohio. Really did not like Ohio. Didn't like. Well, Dayton. if you start in Dayton, it's hard to like. There's a lot, not very much Where to like. Where is a good place in Ohio to start? I can Let's tell look. you the place not to start is Dayton. <laughs> okay. Like. I agree. <laughs> That's why I went to uh, I went to Cincinnati a lot. Um, you know, down there it was only an hour away. It was, seemed like a, a better place to hang out. But, um, and I was opening up new stores, you know, these were stores coming out towards the end of the construction and they were ready to hire people and staff them and sure. then, like put in product and all this stuff. So it was a huge undertaking. It got burned out and was like, I not going to work in a Meyer store the rest of my life. So I moved back home to Grand Rapids and, um, and, uh, enrolled back in school. I was pretty close to an associates. I dabbled in college for two years and thought, well, I'll just knock out on associates and see what I can 
you know, next? Well, I had a couple electives to take and I took a intro to photography. I was like, oh, I know how to develop film. This will be an easy class. Sure. I wasn't pursuing any career in photography. Right. It wasn't even on my radar. But lo and behold, I had a great first instructor. His name's Dennis Grants. He's still a teacher, not at that school, but he's a teacher now for Wimcat and with kids and just a great guy. Ignited this love of photography and the dark room and just, you know, the assignments he gave out were intriguing and and it just caught fire. I was like, I think I want to, I think, I don't know, I'm sure where this is going, but it's like the only thing I could hold on to for my life in terms of like something I wanted to do for sure. And so I thought I'm going to, I'm just going to keep pushing this. So I took, I ended up taking about four or five classes at GRCC in photography. Kind of went nuts, took a bunch at a time and then, um, and then just left, never got an associates, uh, never got a batch, never went on to school, but just started photography and started doing things. So you, you started on your own right from the, just like the, yeah, I mean, almost like I wouldn't recommend that to people. (laughs) I really wouldn't. That won't be in the book. No, <laughs> it's not a good thing to do. Um, you know. So what were you doing from like at the beginning? What were you shooting? Uh, mostly architecture. So gotcha. most of my my uh, I started in that first photography class, taking images at night because I was I was already sort of competitive in a in a weird kind of way. I mean, here I we are all in thirty kids or thirty adults at GRCC <laughs> taking an intro to photography. But I was looking at what they were shooting and I was like, you know, a cat and dog and my bird and a couple newborns and like boring photos. I mean, horrible. Uh, we were all horrible. But I started taking so I took some images at night and there was a slide film. Um, we had to take images on slides so we could show and share with the class. Sure. Yeah, yeah. And so I went down and I did some longer exposures at night along the river, um, bridges and all that stuff. And so for let's stop here just yeah. for a second. For people who like are not our age and maybe haven't touched physical film, don't understand what like explain a long exposure, right? Because in the iPhone yeah. age, right, they don't yeah. necessarily understand <laughs> what that is. Unless it's a time lapse, yes, hyperlapse. Um, which is not the same. A thing. long exposure is where you let time accumulate on a single piece of film. So that's um, one. Sh- the shutter opens and doesn't close until you tell it to. That could be a couple of seconds. It could be a couple of hours. You know, and I was very interested in the effects of time and objects moving through a film plane on a single piece of negative. So you're and letting, so even in this intro class, you're, me- you're this is like my one of my first assignments. I went down, I lived in a crappy apartment near downtown. Downtown was nothing like it is today in Grand Rapids. It was sketchy and, yeah, right. You know, yes. especially at night. Nobody... You went to Grand Rapids to get tattoos. That's what you went to Grand Rapids <laughs> Yes, yes. And to roll, you know, roll people down by the river for yes. cash. That's what we did. <laughs> but we would, no, it wasn't, it was nothing like today. And no one was downtown at night recreating or even really walking. Anyway, so I, I, very early on, I didn't even have a tripod, but I would brace the camera. Didn't know a whole lot about a, of exposure, but I would brace the camera on um, a ledge or a sidewalk or a curb or something, and I would just hold the shutter button open for however long I thought that would be a good exposure and would get the film processed. And that got a lot of reaction. I remember I shot down at the Ford Museum the lighted fountain down there. Yep. You know? And so you shoot that at two in the morning or midnight or whatever time it was. 
and it had this amazing wistful bridal veil smooth effect and the effect when i that would showed the class because no one had images like this was this kind of like an audible whoa you know through the class wow look at that and i had never experienced that about anything i'd done really <laughs> you know up to that point and so you know, a couple of assignments, and I, I so I was, but I was always very interested in the city of Grand Rapids. I was always very interested in, in its architecture. I'd always liked. Um, my dad was a pilot growing up for United Airlines, and we did have the opportunity to travel for free, so we did go to a lot of different cities. I was always fascinated growing up with tall buildings and architecture and skylines and things like that. So, I was very, um, in, in you know, in a roundabout way, interested in photography. Or uh, architecture, sorry. Sure. Yeah. So um, that just translated to shooting the buildings downtown, and then eventually we got into the darkroom in that same first class where you could process black and white film, not color, just black and white. And I started shooting the city. I got a tripod, invested into a probably a really cheap, horrible tripod, <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> but uh, could stabilize the camera better than I was by hand before. And then I started to do these long exposures with the lighted bridges. Uh, water studies, like very abstract things, just using light and then um, printing them in the darkroom, which I loved. I loved being in the darkroom and printing, which is another skill set all that the kids aren't getting today for sure is printing their own photographs. But um, yeah, we just, uh, so that was a whole nother level. And that was, that was, there was no one really shooting the city at night. I started, you know, that was really what I started to do and I assembled this portfolio of um, black and white images at night of the city, and I was still taking classes at GRCC, and some I had some gumption. I don't know. I don't know why <clears throat> I took the risk, but I thought I should have an exhibition of my work at sure. this point. I should I should definitely have an exhibition. You know, like uh, the response from my class is <laughs> off the charts. We should start a career. But I went down, do you remember the Four Friends Coffee House? Yeah. It was the first like legit coffee yep. shop in the city, probably, you know, in the whole West Michigan region. It's right by Rosa Park Circle yep. where that is today. And they used to let artists hang art for free. You could do that and you could obviously local musicians could play there. Like it was a really cool spot. It was an amazing yeah. spot and I still miss it. But I went to the owner and I just said all you had to do was show her the work and then she would give you a slot. And so she said, yeah, these are cool. I had them, you know, smaller prints made. And I said, this is kind of what I want to do. And I made 13 frame prints. And I added a little opening at Four Friends. Invited family and friends. And we all looked at my photos and had coffee and some cookies. And, and then went out. But I was up for an entire month. I don't recall if I sold any at the opening. Maybe I did or maybe I didn't. They weren't expensive. They were probably $70 or something sure. framed. Like, right. But there were some executives from the Amway Grand Plaza Hotel. They were going to renovate a, re a restaurant called Bentham's. On the Sat right on the riverfront. And they went in there for coffee. And they see this photographer's work that had all these river studies and bridges and basically everything within a quarter mile of uh, the Amway Grand Plaza Hotel. And they contacted me. I had made up some tiny business cards at the front desk. It's like, hey, you know, if anyone wants to buy one of these, here's how to get a hold of sure. me. And I got an email or a call. I think it was an email. Just said, you know, can you come down and have a meeting? And then I, s I ended up eventually, long story short, sold a ton of photos 
big enlargements and then they commissioned me to shoot more amway commissioned me to shoot more angles of like the hotel and different stuff so literally i was like in my second class at grcc and i had a big commission from a from a hotel in downtown a four-star hotel so a couple things to kind of unpack there one i mean you're making fun of it but i think a lot of people sit in that when i'm good enough I'll reach out to four friends, right? Yeah. When I'm good enough, I'll enter our prize, whatever your thoughts yeah. on our prize, right? Like I'll enter our prize. When I'm good enough, I'll start a podcast. When I'm good enough, mm-hmm. I'll put my photos on Instagram. And yeah. then they sit and they sit and yeah. they sit and they sit and then they don't do anything. And yeah. here you are in between class one and class two, yeah. right? Like by all intents and purposes, you clearly have an eye, but you're sort of making it up, right? And then, totally. you, and then you stumble into yeah. the success because... Because I took a risk yes. and I said, I will show it. And I always tell that to students now. I do a fair amount of, you know, a few times a year, I'll speak to certain classes in college, sometimes high schools. And I'm like... I don't remember. You don't teach though, right? You I just, don't teach. There yeah. was a point where I was an adjunct back at GRCC. Yep. Um, for about four years, I taught the same class that I started, which is, was kind of That's nice. Cool. But I haven't taught for a while. They actually required eventually adjuncts to have oh, that's a, right. a, a yeah, degree. Yeah, yeah. Yep. And yeah. I didn't... Um, I didn't have a degree. I just from, I just left Aquinas, and they were like, "Do you know anyone?" I'm like, "I don't know anyone who has degree. No, I don't know anyone who has yeah. degrees. I come from radio and television. Especially no. for an adjunct position, it, right. it, it really sort of chafed me because right. I was like, you know, you want people in the industry that are actually working. Here, I came from this program. I took like four photo classes, and I had a pretty good career going by the time I was teaching. And they're like, "Well, you got to have an MFA." Yep. An MFA to teach an adjunct at a two-year university, I think, is ridiculous. You know, you're supposed to have brought some real-world experience. Yeah. That's the point of an adjunct. So, um, anyway, I was just like, this is silly. If I had an MFA, I'd be an academic like all my other professors. I wouldn't be a working photographer. Right. So, um, you know, no offense to academics, but it's... Uh, you're, you, know, you ain't out there doing the work. Yeah, no, day. it's it's yeah. different, right? Yeah. Like they have a different skill set, and yeah. if you want to know how you bridge the gap between, you know, doing stuff in a dark room and how to use a moment lens on your iPhone seven, you need somebody who's actually in the field, not somebody yeah. who hasn't been in the field since 1986. And that's no knock, but like that's that's what yeah. you get in academia, right? Like they yeah. don't they're not required to. It's my biggest beef. And I I don't because I and maybe because I had I just worked so hard and I put myself out there at at a times where it was probably not appropriate to show my work. But there's something about that that people recognize that I'm hustling and I'm doing work and there is some talent underneath there, but it's a developing thing. And I think I'm always telling students, uh, I'll get back to the academia thing, because I really, it does really, really upset me, um, just the four-year institution and that mindset. Yep. Is, um, but I would, um, I'm always telling students, start showing your work. You have a global platform in your yeah. phone. You're all connected. It's way easier now to build an audience than it ever was. Well, I went to four friends. I had 30 people show my photos. Yes, but what I love about this story, and I know we're only 18 minutes into this yeah. thing, what I love about this story is this all starts because you do something the rest of the class isn't doing, and the class gives you feedback, and then you're gone, right? Yeah. Now you're showing your work. You're selling it. Like, yeah. That's all it took is somebody to go, that's really dope, man. Yeah. Go do more of that. And it was really, there was a lot of turmoil in my life, not from family, but at that time I was, you know, I was pretty lost, 24, 25 year old kid. I had, you know, had left a decent career at Meyer, didn't know what to do. So 
when I had some um, s some validation from some audience or from some professor, at that point it meant the world to me, and I just like boom, I just like took off, and without you know more than headfirst, like tumbling down the hill, sure. like I, there was nothing gonna stop me. But it gets back. To, so I'm always telling people, no one's gonna find you. Like no one's gonna discover you. I equate the photography career being exactly like a singing career, being in a band, being an actor, a stage person. Like no one's gonna find you on a street corner and put you in a big movie. Nope. You gotta hustle. Ten thousand hours is a real thing to me. You know. Yeah. Practicing your craft. So, uh, and you're not going to be very good for most of those first 10,000 hours, you know, you just and have that's to, okay. It's all right. It's fine. Like, it's totally fine. And I think that, you know, we're, we're all risk averse to some degree and failure and we, no one likes to be humiliated, but, um, the world's not that bad out there. Like just put your stuff out. If sure. you put out a clunky photo or, you know, a bad song, like who cares? Write a great one next time. Yep. You know, they'll tell you when it's great and when you're ready. So um, but in terms of just academia, it just really bugs me that, um, you can go to a four year institution in town here at Kendall or GVSU, get a degree, a major in photography, and there's not one faculty member that can tell you what you should charge the day you graduate for anything. Like they don't, they don't have any business advice. I saw so many people, even in the limited time I was at GRCC, I thought people that were super talented really be better than me they had different skill sets than me early on as a photographer and they all left the photo photo industry because you don't they wanted to but they just couldn't make it they couldn't sustain it they didn't have any advice on a business standpoint sure to, to even get get a foothold of like what are you charge in this industry how do I start? Like, what do I need? Do I need insurance? Do I need what? You know, there's a million questions. And you can spend $120,000 at Kendall for a four-year degree and not know any of those answers the yeah. day you graduate. Yep. And it just burns me. It just, it's such a ripoff. Well, and me. that, like, to be fair, like, that's not unique to Kendall, right? Like, No, I'm not picking the, on Kendall. The whole, like, yeah. to be, I mean, to, to yeah. lean into this, like, the whole country is teetering on this ridiculous Yeah hundred thousand dollar two hundred thousand yeah. dollar debt ceiling that's gonna yeah. collapse at some point because they don't they either don't have the acumen to start if they're in photography or any yeah. sort of fine arts they come out they yeah. don't know how to start it or they have so much debt that they've incurred for some of the larger scale lawyer yeah. doctor etc mm -hmm. and they've got to work at starbucks yeah right because well, like, that's what I mean, knocks here, people out yeah because here in michigan right if you want to be yeah. a nurse it's a waiting list yeah so you, you've right. got your degree <laughs> and then you sit around and work at starbucks to pay yeah. down right. two hundred forty thousand dollars in time debt. time is time is your enemy when you're in a creative field because eventually even if you have a bachelor's degree in photography you can go get other jobs you could go get any other job that requires a four-year degree you can go get it you can go get on the job training sure but that becomes your that's an easy out when you have out of your own industry that you went to school for because you need a at least a $35,000 job to pay your car and your rent and get on your way as a professional. Yep. And when you're a creative, you don't have that time. You don't have that luxury to go, oh, I'll give it two or three more years. I'll just dig it out and grind it out. And people succumb to that and they end up in a field that they never studied for. And yeah, they got access to a degree 
uh, and certain types of jobs that required that, that gave them an exchange of a certain salary because they had a degree. It's a chicken or egg sort of thing to me. So I'm not an advocate. Uh, more and more, the way, as you mentioned, the 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 climate's changed now. It's more entrepreneurial. It's 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 find your passion and get really good at it. And the money will come. I've said that for years. Um, it sounds cliche and trite. Sounds like a platitude, but it really is. If if you can dig it out and you want it bad enough, you can do anything you want in a field that you're talented in. I I couldn't go. I can't say that about being a bass player, or um, you know, a violinist. I could never do that. I don't have the platform. I don't have sure. the talent. Yeah. But, um, you know, you you should follow the path of your talents that are the least resistant in terms of what, do what comes easiest to you, and then work really hard at that. And so let's let's. Let's dive into that, right? Yeah. So Amway commissions you to get more photos, right? You you do that as your starting point. As you said, you then turn that into a book, which is what you're known for mm -hmm. at that point. Well, even before that, what's funny is, right, so I took these little nods of, of like um, validation, of affirmation more as a photographer. So Amway commissions me, and we do, I don't know, 20 photos in a restaurant, all big photos. It was a big installation it was a lot of fun I thought well I'll open an art gallery if, an, if a four-star <laughs> hotel wants my photographs wasn't the whole public love to just sure. step in so I opened a tiny tiny 340 square foot art gallery inside what is now the courtyard by Marriott downtown across from okay. the Bob got it kind of tiny little place and I hung photos of the city and at the time, you know, all these have been, they're off, they're off the walls now, but there was a time I was in a lot of bank lobbies, law firms, people were coming in and buying my art of the city because again, I, I had put a small stamp on nighttime architecture of Grand Rapids with these views of the city along with a book. So, uh, you know, I was on my way. So I took a, the next step. It wasn't just I waited for the next Amway to find me at Four Friends. It wasn't like I set up a gallery at Four Friends and just right. asked for a permanent space and wet, wait for the checks to roll in. No, I invested. I parlayed. I, I took that money and opened an, a gallery. And I, you know, so. So where did the business acumen come from then? Like, is that well, is that your parents? Like, where does that? Because obviously you're not you're yeah. learning it at GRCC. Right. No, I don't I don't know where that drive came from. I've always there's two types of creatives, though. There's the there's the creatives who have no business skills. They shouldn't even manage their own calendars. They're so brilliant painters and sculptors. They should just work and create the work and they need help. Um, there's a lot of photographers like that, too, that have agents or reps that run sort of their life. But um, in Grand Rapids, you don't have that opportunity. So you have to do it both. My wife's been very integral. She's had a marketing and business background. Has been very um, instrumental in sort of um, developing, um, helping me see where I might be off the right track on, on commercial work or something like sure. that. Sure. So the the business side really just became a drive of um, of continually trying to figure out what the market can bear. You know. And for you, it's a weird, there's a, so many other tangents we could go down to. It's like your own personal brand is tied up into that. Like, do, what do people perceive the value of what you create as a photographer? You know, is are you just starting out? You're not worth much if you're, you know, you're worth what everyone else is. And then, you know, there comes a point where you become known for doing something. 
and then you have some leverage and say, well, I, I'm really good at this. Like no one can do this quite like I do. It doesn't mean I'm the best at it. It just means that if you want what I do, you can't really replicate that out sure. very easily. So, and then it becomes about relationships and all these other things. So like what to charge and what fees are and what it's, it's always moving. It's always, it's always not a fixed thing. Like I had somebody email me the other day and said, what's your hourly rate? Well, I don't charge by the hour, you know, well, I need to know a lot more about what you're trying to create and what you want me to create before I can even think about the value of it. So I don't know where we got off on that. On the I was tangent. just asking you, like, where does the business acumen come from? Yeah, because right? so you was kind just, of like married I, those two very quickly, you know. Well, that drive, I knew that no one. Would, again, I think it comes from the point of no one's going to give it to you. Like, no one's, no gallery is going to swoop you up. That reps a bunch of other. Or there's a lot of great galleries in town, but there's not any that really focused on what I was doing. Sure, and you'd just be one of a hundred other artists, and I think you get lost. So. I don't know. I, I still think, you know, I think artists themselves, and again, I'm older now and have had some time to think about a lot of these things, but we're very much like, look what I did. You know, it's a very sort of, um, it's an insular business and you obviously have some ego wrapped up into it because you think you, what you have is worthy to show and share and, and actually you should buy this, you know, you should invest your yes. money, Eric, yes. into what I, what I created and go live with it forever. Go put it on your wall. It's kind of a, kind of an arrogant standpoint, <laughs> a visual, you know, so it's, it's kind of a, there's some conceit there that I'm not denying, you know, in terms of just being an artist, whether you're a singer or a songwriter, like you, your, your voice and what your message to the world, you have to believe it matters to some degree. Otherwise, why do it? For sure. And so let's, let's fast forward a little bit, right? Yeah. Cause you're at this point in your career, you own an art gallery, you're doing the architecture of the city and that's kind of what you're known for. There's a book out, but eventually as I'm looking on the wall, you pivot back to portraits. Like what, what is that transition like? And yeah, you know, let's talk about that a little bit. That's a, that's a very, there was, that's the pivotal moment of my career. So I started shooting the city architecture, nighttime stuff, different studies of buildings and bridges and all that stuff. And then I would shoot buildings. I had my first real professional practice outside of creating my own artwork or my own images for the pure pleasure of hanging them on the wall was architectural work and interpreting buildings and spaces for architects, general contractors, interior designers. So when a building was complete, they all want photographs for their portfolios to say, look what we designed. And they need a photographer that understands architectural, an architectural approach to describing their designs in a way that's very flattering, the most flattering possible. And that requires a lot of talent and perspective in terms of like knowing camera angles and, and knowing design and what is important in a building's design. And I had a lot of success in just that field. So for many years, probably the first seven or eight years of my career, I was just doing architectural work and I had an art gallery that I showed my own work. So I had two tangents. One was a fine art career and one was a very commercial advertising kind of path in terms of just architecture. Then what happened was uh, film went away and digital became a thing. And I had taken portraits for people because I think once people assume you can take architectural images, you can take <laughs> right. photos of people and kids. A camera's a camera, a camera, a camera right? or an executive. You right. know, like here you should shoot our CEO or our an annual report or something. 
and um, I had some bad experiences right off the bat shooting portraiture that were technical errors, and I wasn't Polaroiding. I couldn't see what I was shooting in the moment. So I would set up lights, and the people were, were lit fairly well. But there were mistakes, like I had reflections of an umbrella in somebody's eyeglasses, like really bad. And I should have been Polaroiding, but again, I didn't assist anybody. I didn't work for another photographer. I didn't work in a studio. Right. Not, I just went right. out. So I lacked a lot of technical skills that I have now, but I would have developed them a lot sooner had I assisted somebody. So I thought I was a horrible portraitist. And so there were some technical problems. I had to like reshoot some things, and it really just got me back on my heels about portraiture. I was like, I do not like confrontation. I want people to be and so happy with what I produce that any kind of like that really, you know, that really put me back. And, a, and, a, and another thing that would happen is people would say, and I, it took me a long time to understand the human behavior and what people perceive of their own selves. Sure. And I took someone say, Oh, I don't look very good in that photo or, Oh my gosh, I look tired or gosh, Oh my, my, my nose, oh, my nose looks terrible. And I took it as I'm a bad photographer. I didn't make them look good. And it took me another five or 10 years to be confident enough in the process and shooting enough portraits to just know that people don't like how they look. Right. They're not narcissists, you know? <laughs> Most people in the world have something that they're going to pick apart. It's of themselves. And so once I understood that my mindset is like, there's going to be uh, out of whatever session I'm doing, they're going to be uncomfortable looking at themselves. And so then I relied on me just um, uh, asking for their trust to let me pick the photos that I felt were the best representation of who they are and what they look like for whatever purpose they have for those images. There's a lot of reasons. There's a million ways to sculpt photography whether it's for a website or branding or whether it's a staff page, there's a million ways that you can approach and get different expressions. And this all only came with a lot of years of doing it. Sure. But I need to know what the company does. I don't do just one thing. I need to understand who's the audience for these photos and then I'll create them in a way that I think they'll be the most effective for the audience and for the company. So anyway, point is people don't like how they look. They think their nose is too big, they're too fat, they have three chins, and why I liked architecture, and I kept retreating to architecture, is buildings don't think they're too fat. Sure. They don't sure. think, they don't have a good side or a bad side. They yes. don't have bad hair days. So I could screw up an architectural shoot, and I could go back and reshoot it. Or if I wasn't happy, I could go back and easily reshoot it. I wasn't inconveniencing anybody. I just needed the space. And so, um, but digital brought that real time while I'm shooting, seeing when I'm pro up, seeing an issue with the hair or reflection in somebody's glasses of my lights. So you could fix things much easier on the spot, which you could with film. I just didn't know how to Polaroid. Right. 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 <laughs> the right. point is I had a technical <laughs> deficit. Right. And uh, that really expanded my confidence, you know, and I could see what I was doing. And then so once I it took me a couple of years to just get really comfortable with with digital and then I got really comfortable then just felt once I had technically mastered and I was confident in my equipment and my lighting style, then I could really focus on a sitting, a session and what it's like to re, um, 
interact with somebody while I'm shooting them. Just, just there is a moment of exchange of intimacy in some way uh, where the subject is really, you're, they're putting their trust in you. And there's, sure. I, I certainly honor that approach with they trust you enough to do exactly what you tell them to do, that um, there's some vulnerability there. And I enjoy that process. I like to still make it fun. No one's crying at my photo shoots. No, no one's like, it's not like I'm busting them down. But uh, I am trying to get something that's more than just, uh, I call it a veneer. You know, I don't need a grin. I don't need a big, I actually, a lot of my portraits are very quiet. They're, um, they're not the moment where you're like, okay, smile, you know, kid stuff or even celebrities. I like, I don't want, I want to get past all their normal poses. Um, to shoot to get to something else that works with my lighting the camera the particular lens I have on there's a lot of things that I'm trying to I'm sort of conducting a concert in some degree and so let's I mean let's take the one that you're right now well known for like the M&M shoot you yeah. know how long is that to get that shot and, yeah. and you know one quick step back to go forward is like that's kind of the look people know you for even yeah. though if you look at your portfolio you can do every look in the book, but that's kind of the one. Well, there's one, yeah, if you look at my website, there's a very much, that's the lighting style I want to do, that I'm really good. I call it kind of this heroic on-location sort of look, or in the studio, it doesn't matter. But there's a particular way that I light people and um, also process the images after I've captured them um, that have a kind of my signature sort of fingerprint on on what I do. Sure. And the M&M thing came out of uh, I've one of my best friend in the photography business is actually Eminem's full-time photographer flies with him all over the world goes on tour with him does all his albums like he's the guy so like I never thought I would shoot Eminem sure. but through a couple of um uh scheduling sort of um gaffes I would say uh my buddy was booked on another job he doesn't he does a lot more than just Eminem stuff but like um and it was literally, I got a call at midnight and I had to be on set at like nine o'clock the next day in Detroit. So there was only one guy that he recommended. So they was like, I'm, I'm not going to be there. I'm in Texas. I cannot come and do this shoot. No one told me about it basically is what happened. And then, um, and then uh, I got the, you know, they said, well, who do you recommend? We need somebody to do this shoot. And he says, there's just one guy. It's my buddy, Brian. He's happens to be in Grand Rapids. You're lucky. So get him down there. So I got a call from their producer and worked everything out. And I was there on set, you know, nine hours later. But that shoot was part of a video shoot that they were doing. They were, he yep. was doing um, this BET cipher. Kind yeah, of the, a, the, yeah. Yeah. It was a big Trump takedown. Yep. Um, which created this virility to the, to the, to the whole performance. So they they asked me if I would shoot performance still. So while he was doing live takes of this, this was all live. It was acapella, um, and it was just a freestyle rap that he was doing. And um, so we we're in a parking garage in downtown Detroit, and I was shooting with the quietest camera I had on silent mode, just shooting stills. And then they told me that I would have some time to just shoot portraits of M and some new people. He's got a label that he signed some other rappers. So we shot him with a few other um, newly signed rappers. And under Shady, yes. Yeah, under Shady yeah. Records, yep. Yeah. And then um, 
And then uh, after that, so we did all these takes. He did maybe four or five takes of this freestyle rap. And then, um, and then we took a break um, for a couple hours, I think. And then I was able to pre-light some of the photo photography I was going to do. He changed wardrobe and he came up. So I didn't have a lot of time. It was very, very secure. You know, it's a very secure environment around M. And um, I was told not to bring an assistant, which normally I have a lighting assistant. So I was doing just to keep – M has a very small creative crew around him. He doesn't like a lot of – you know, he trusts who he trusts. Sure. And yeah. so um, – Anyway, that's the pretty much how it went, and I had maybe uh, it was still quick. I mean, I pre-lit during those two-hour break. I was I used the stand-in, and I was testing different areas of this floor that of this parking ramp I could shoot on, and and so the lighting was pretty dialed in when they said. This is why I was asking because I yeah. figured it was going to be he sits down, has four minutes, you take nine photos. Yeah, like, he something. was pretty. Yeah, I'd heard a lot of stories about him. I didn't really know what to expect, and I've heard you know I've shot a lot of celebrities before Eminem, but um, and you never know what you're going to get right. when they show up, even though you might have heard a bunch of stuff about him. But I thought he'd be a little. Uh, he was very kind. He was very nice. Uh, I wouldn't say like not like friends, but just. Um, we did everything I asked. He was very professional. And I'm like, oh yeah, this is the eight mile. This is the eight mile guy who who <laughs> he is an actor. Like he knows exactly what he's doing. He's aware of cameras. And I watched him during the video shoot. Um, asked the director very very um, very knowledgeable questions about cinema and the angles and what lens was on and what the coverage was at this particular moment. So he could adapt his body and his upper body towards how he was being framed at that particular time. So this is a guy who knows everything about sure. photography and cinema and uh, very professional, just hit his marks, gave me everything he wanted. I wanted and a little bit more. I think I was out and I think I was maybe it was all it's all blur. A time right. goes yeah, away because yeah. I'm so focused on what I was doing and I did not want to screw up for one, my buddy. I didn't want to lay an egg for him uh, because the, everyone trusted me to come down and sort of fill the slot. But um, I don't know, it's probably 15 minutes with him total, yeah. two different locations. And that's kind of par for the course unless you're shooting somebody, uh, you know, for a specific reason. These were these were important photos because M hadn't been seen in a while. He'd grown the beard and um, he hadn't, he'd been kind of dark while he was working on an album. So nobody had really seen fresh images of him in some time. Well, and what people don't, might not know if you're not into hip hop, right? It's like the album before this happened was horrific. It yeah. was awful yeah so he went dark because he had to yeah. you know and so like that's why i asked you about the photos not because i, I want to stargaze but because yeah. i have a, you know 30 years in the music industry like i i know yeah. what was going on in the background it yeah. was interesting to see what happens in those 15 minutes and so you say that's kind of par for the course how did you develop kind of the cadence of well i gotta do all of this stuff before they walk in because i don't have there's no time when yeah. insert star blah sure. walks in well, that's just preparation. I mean, I, I have complicated lighting setups now, so... And that's um, why I'm asking, because yeah. they look like they're super complicated, yeah. right? Yeah, and, and part of that is because I'm trying to elevate my brand. Again, I'm trying not to be easily replicable. Right. I need people to hire me because I'm the guy that can do that, not that they can have eight people that can use one light on something, and then they pick whoever fits their budget. Like, that's a horrible position to be in as a That is creative. how you should always buy art. That is how you buy art. <laughs> right. 
Especially like for, yeah, I mean, it's Who just, is the it's cheapest just, it's crazy. and barely capable. Yeah, That's how you like, purchase it. We art. need to look kind of like this, and I just need your rate, and I'm going to bid this against 10 other people and whatever. So, like, I'd rather be bidding against two or three people, maybe me locally and two or three other people that are amazing photographers that I don't mind losing work to if it comes down to money right. or the right fit for the project. Like, I'm, I'm, I lose a lot of projects. It's not like... Um, it's not like I get everything that I'm asked to do. There's do you like that process, the bidding process? Um, I don't like it. I like it when people say, uh, right. how much money do you need to do this? Right. And then they go, okay, sounds good. And I wonder, should I have asked for more money? <laughs> like, I don't know. Like, that seemed too painless. And, um, and I must say that like, I think the, the very important takeaway is that I'm hungry and working with all levels of people. I work sometimes for almost nothing. If I believe in the project, yep. if I think I can do something that I really want to do and for people that I really want to work with, I'll work for nothing. And then I'm looking on the other side of the spectrum for as much money as I can get because I'm a professional and the, the, because it's, uh, you know, I, I'm doing something that I love and that I'm, I'm finally now after 20 years to say that I'm excellent at, like I can finally say that I'm not making excuses. I have you know, I try to be self-deprecating, but like, I don't think there's, there's nothing I can't do. I don't mean that in an arrogant way. I took a lot of licks over 20 years. Well, and I don't, I don't take yeah. it as arrogant. I mean, you know, if you're good at a craft, you're good at a craft. Yeah. I was just literally, I w stopped at Woodland to grab some Christmas presents and bumped in a buddy. And we were talking about this very thing. Cause he and I do different, but the same thing. And mm -hmm. I, you know, he was saying like, the stuff you do is worth that amount of money. I'm like, yeah, because if you hire someone who can't speak in front of a thousand people, you're that's what you're going to get, right? Yeah, right like right. that's what's what's going to happen. And so right. I don't take that as ego as all yeah. at all because well, it comes from it just comes from a place of finally being able to say, you know, I I realize now through losing jobs, through through working and working thousands and thousands of days, you know, over twenty years. Every client's different. Every job scenario is different. Every every sort of look that they need with the photographs is somewhat different. So, um, so in terms of the bidding process, I don't enjoy it because it can always it's like sand through your hands. Sure. Man. I've had so many jobs that were like thought were locked in, and big money, small money didn't matter. If I if I really wanted to do something, it can until you get a signed really signed estimate back. And until you get, I'm actually purchased airfare to go somewhere. Like it's not real, and I've learned to not take it personally. It's still hard, but like there's jobs you've wanted so bad for whatever reason, just like it was a pile of money, yep, or it was a cool thing, a, a or, very cool yeah. thing, or it was both. Right. You know, I mean, it was both. Right. Sometimes that works out, and um, but yeah, it's just it's been. Um, I don't love that part. Um, I don't like the triple bid. There's a or get in the weeds of the industry, but triple bid is kind of a uh, big ad agencies do it all the time. They're required to get three bids on a particular project for photographers, yep. and the agency already knows who they want to use and creatively. And sometimes that's me, and they have to triple bid it out uh, to other people, or sometimes I'm being triple bid. I just know they are because they just send you the scope of work and they don't give you a lot of other information yeah and they just want another quote so you got to put a lot of time and energy in estimating things and doing things um just to get a no out of it 
But in terms of, and it's uh, the, the other part that's hard about it. It's not that I don't like it, but it's just hard to know your value. Yeah. And what can the client bear? You know, is it just a little bit? Is it, you know, and you try to get some range and they're looking to you to tell you what, what it is, but like, likely they don't know, right? Well, like, they don't know. Yeah. No, they don't really know. And some people think that a thousand dollars is a lot of money. And when you have a studio and payroll and some other stuff, that's, that's not, that's nothing. <laughs> that is like, not a lot of money. That'll no. be spent like in the course of this podcast. You know <laughs> what I mean? Like it, money breathes in and out of, of, of the business, you know? So, um, so in terms of, um, it's just part of it. You know, it's yeah. just part. Of it. I don't have a rep. I don't have people to do that for me. Do you so want that? Cause you mentioned that twice in the last, you know, I have a, I've had a rep in LA and it was not a good relationship. Yeah. So I'm, if, a, if there, there's certainly reps I would love to have, um, they're usually New York or LA based or they have offices in both is ideal, but I'm not, um, I'm not knocking on their doors anymore. I knocked yeah. on a few doors and, um, then I had one in LA for a while and it just didn't, work well um but there are certain ones yeah if they came knocking i would i would sign but it's good to have a bad cop in that relationship it's hard when you're the one guy no, yeah so that's why i was asking west michigan yep. so let's just drill it into west michigan it's very sure. hard to be the guy that answers the phone and the email gets all the information about the job to create an estimate then you present the estimate to them and then you know you negotiate on that estimate and then you go execute the job and you're also the guy that's going to deliver the files to them at the end of the day. You know, it's, it feels kind of one man bandish. Yeah. And so, the, um, I don't think people see from the outside a lot of extra value in that. If they have a staff person, if you have somebody that can kind of run interference, answer emails, uh, there, you need a layer, you need some layer. And I've, I've, been better over the years of putting a, a layer around some communications where well Brian I'll get back to you later today or I'll bring this information to Brian sure it's a bit of a shell game but also it's true I mean it's not like I'm not lying about it but like I could anyway so yeah it's it's hard to you uh, I had some really good advice I won't she'll remain nameless but she she's <laughs> a, a PR person in town has been around forever and she just said, you can't, you can't be that person that answers the phone, then sends the email, then deliver. You need some, you're never going to get top dollar until you're, uh, have some people in between you and the client at certain stages. Sure. Yeah. yeah. You know, I'm, I'm looking around your studio and there's clearly an aesthetic, but there's no other art in here other than yours. And so are you insular in your creativity or do you, do you still consume other stuff and get inspired by other stuff or is that not you know because there are artists that are like nope i, I live in a box and that's what, where the no. stuff comes or i consume all the stuff and let it kind of yeah well there's a there's a practical estimate to or uh, approach to my studio is that there's really no place to hang much and what is hanging has to do with the the children's portraits that i do that are commissioned portrats so there's no judging happening not here. Ju but yeah, I, mean, I didn't even, take it as a judgment. But, but even just, like there is, yeah. isn't really even any knickknacks around. Right, like, right. You know, a couple trophies here and there, you know, awards, plaques, trophies. <laughs> um, no, the uh, so the art that's here. World's best dad. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, yeah. My, so the yeah. So I like. Um, 
so for here, it only really made sense to have, and I'm also trying to just to really get in the weeds and I know drive you crazy, but the, the kids portraits are meant to be large scale portraits. They aren't intended to be a little four by six framed yep. on your desk. They're, they're intended to be large scale. So I have some samples of some frame prints of uh, kids that I shoot in a very specific lighting style and they're presented large in a frame. Like I would want them presented in somebody's home. So that aside, I consume all kinds of photography. I'm voracious online. I, my magazines at home, you know, I get print subscriptions still to Vanity Fair and um, a lot of different photography publications that I enjoy and admire the photography of. And in many ways, I'm straight up emulating that style and shooting a particular way, especially in the celebrity entertainment field. Um, but yeah, you got to look, you got to know what's going on out there because pretty soon, um, but you also have to know, I'm not trying to do everything as much as I feel like I can do anything. Um, I, I don't think it's a good approach to try to do everything. I can do almost anything technically. Yeah. Like I know I can light anything the way that you want, or I can shoot without lights and shoot lifestyle stuff. And I could be a wedding photographer or shoot like. Uh, your kid's soccer tournament, you know, I mean, that that's okay if it's all making money with a camera. But in terms of, like, what I've really drilled my expertise into, I look in that world a lot. And I don't just look around here. I right. look nationally and yeah, internationally. Yeah. So I'm fortunate that I work still a lot of my home clients and West Michigan-based clients. I've been working with many of them for my entire career. So relationships are a huge component to this. You can't, you can't command whatever you think you can, you know, whatever your client's budget is, and then you know, be difficult to work with or be notorious. <laughs> right. Like yeah. it's about repeat business, and it's about establishing relationships. But I'm also able, um, you know, several times a year to do some really amazing, cool projects through New York or LA agencies. That you know, how do they find me in Grand Rapids? I don't know. It's kind of a miracle because. You know, New York is chock full of photographers, most of them better than me, you know, in terms of some, some at some level, you know. Um, but that's, I mean, in some respects, though, it's, you know, beauty is in the eye of the beholder. And so you may think that they're better than you because you have a different way to look at it, right? But from the, yeah. from the consumer or client side, we don't, we don't have that lexicon or that eye or that aesthetic. Yeah. And we just go, well, I, I like his better, right? Yeah, and that's what it is, you know. I, and and again, I'm not sure how. I mean, I do a lot of marketing that's very quiet and it's very industry specific. So I'm making efforts. I'm, there are no bones about it. Like uh, I am definitely very aggressive about trying to get work outside of Michigan, but I'm never at all trying to neglect my home base or act like I'm not working in West sure. Michigan anymore. That's a fine line that I'm always. Um, amazed that some people won't approach you because they're like, oh, I thought you don't work around here anymore. I'm like, what? My studio's in Kentwood by the mall and I live in, you know, in Ottawa Hills. So, um, so managing your own social media brand and all that is all important and it's, uh, but, and access. So I'm, I'm always be West Michigan. I'm not moving. Um, uh, you know, I would just love to get as, a few more gigs a year that I'm getting now that are outside of the yeah. region. So now, um, real quickly, can we talk about the lineman real quick? Yeah. Yeah. That surprised me, right? I obviously know you could use any sort of camera, but like, what is, are you and Brian making a thing or is that a one-off? Like what is, and maybe you can't even say, but Oh, I, sure. You know, no, I can talk all about it. They, um, 
so I've also at the same time, one thing we haven't, we've been focused on photography, but eight, 10 years ago, I started directing video. And as soon as they put video uh, capabilities, HD capabilities on a Canon camera body, that was exactly in the format that I was using sure. before then. Yeah, yeah. Um, I started making videos and I started to leverage relationships with clients that I had and said, listen, the YouTube's a thing, the internet, the bandwidth's going crazy. We need to start telling your stories. All photographs and videos are just storytelling. Yep. It's your brand. It's the story of your brand. It's who you are. It's what you do and where you do it. And so, um, so I've, I've become over years being a, a competent video producer and director. So um, The Lineman, which is a comedy short that Brian Van Erich from the Verb Pipe, who's a friend of mine, wrote. He's been in films over the years. He's written a lot of scripts. Um, some don't see the light of day, but like just because uh, he doesn't have time to do them or there's no one that really, there's no reason for it, but he's constantly creative. I admire him a lot in that he's not just writing music and touring, he's doing, his brain works in a lot of different yes, ways. Yes, it does. So, uh, but I had been doing a lot of these videos that are essentially customer branded, we call them branded testimonials. These are people in the healthcare industry, they're patients of a, maybe a pharmaceutical company or um, a hospital system of some kind. And they're just ex describing their great experience with a particular office yep. or drug or whatever. So, um, and that's, that gets to be kind of formulaic creatively, and it's two cameras on a talking head, as we call it, you know? So it's some, you know, two camera angles on somebody talking, and then a lot of B-roll of just illustrating and capturing what they're talking about. So, you know, you do enough of those, you're ready. I wanted to do, basically, I wanted to do something scripted. And um, so I just emailed Brian, who, you know, I'm still, I've been friends with him for 10 years or more. And I said, hey, B, you got, what do you got? Any scripts laying around? And he sent me three scripts, and I picked the easiest one to shoot. And that was because it was, we could film it. Right, it was literally across the street from my house. <laughs> <laughs> so we just needed like a utility box. And these guys are utility workers, essentially on break, talking about um, diets and smells and food and the effect on your appetite and women's bodies, basically. And it's a comedy short. Yep. And then we cast uh, David Dyer, who's one of my best friends since I was seven. He's a well-known stand-up comedian, works nationally. He lives here. And then Kevin, the late, great Kevin Yan, who died just a few weeks after we filmed. Uh, he was the, he's a great actor, but he was famous for another Eminem project, the Chrysler Super Bowl commercial yep. that turned Detroit around. Literally the the entire brand of Detroit changed with that commercial. Yes, and it, it did. It hinged on Eminem and it hinged on Kevin Yan's voice. And literally, I, no one can argue this with me, at least successfully to me, is that that flipped Detroit. That started people owning the grit and the grime of Detroit and it set them on a confident path from that forward. And Detroit's Got a long ways to go, and I spent a lot of time over there. But, um, you know, it's definitely amazing what's happening. So, Kevin, we cast, uh, so Brian Vanerick sends me the script. Um, we basically pick a day to shoot it. Uh, we shot it in maybe two or three hours. Uh, did a table read the day before we shot at my house. And uh, it's just this cool comedy short. If you searched on YouTube, you could find it probably on Brian Vanerick's YouTube page called The Lineman. And it's just a funny five-minute short. It's five minutes, and 
Uh, it's ridiculous. There was no reason to do it. There was no money in it, you know, other than. Well, and that's sort of why I asked is because, you know, when you see, when you see creators go and make a thing and you're like, I didn't, that, that sort of kind of came out of left field. It's like, okay, what's the behind the behind thing, right? Yeah. You know, I, yeah. I was kind of. Just scratching a creative just, itch. Yes. And yeah. I had not, I wasn't like I had to go scrape the bottom of the barrel to go do a project. I had Brian Vanderark, who's a great script writer. 100%. You know, he looks pretty good on camera for a guy his age. But, uh, you know. I'm sure he's not listening to this, so it's okay. But Brian, you know, Brian's a friend. I could, you know, Dave's a friend, and Kevin Yan I'd worked with before in the past. So, um, how easy to do something with friends, and they're all super talented. And I just directed and produced it, and um, we had a small, very small crew on it, and it came out kind of nice. And then the fact that it was Kevin Yan's, I believe it was one of the last projects he filmed before he passed. Um, and then we'd just seen him a couple weeks before he died again uh, at the roast. There was a comedy roast of David Dyer, and Kevin was on the dais, and I was on the dais. So I got to hang with Kevin a lot right before he died, and he was certainly one of the most kind, gentle, funny, funny people I've ever met. He was great. And he steals every single scene. Have you seen the Pillars episodes with yes. Dave Dyer? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, they're great. And that's my point, too. That's another thing. Dave Dyer is a great inspiration to people to just do it like he set up one camera he'd go to uh nick fink's bar with him and kevin just two guys in a bar he'd set up a one camera on a tripod i don't even think he used extra audio like a microphone sure yeah, I think yeah. it's all on camera and he edits, edits them himself and they're just on the power of their writing and their acting it doesn't need to be this overproduced thing and i um I shot an early one of Dave, one of the first ones that I shot two comedy shorts with Dave and Kevin Yan seven or eight years ago. And, you know, with two cameras, had some lighting, yep. but it was a little more of a thing. And then Dave's like, I think I can do this. It'll be more stripped down. I'm like, go. And he showed me the first one. Said, Dave, you don't need me anymore. I'd love to be in, in front <laughs> of this. But, like, if you're doing a three minute skit, it's not even a skit, it's a three minute script. Yep. Two guys talking. This works fine just put it out there and those pillars things are great yeah i love them and they're funny and kevin stole kevin yan stole every single scene he was in with dave and i love it because they you know dave wrote and directed it <laughs> and edited it together but kevin's always the one that's coming out on top on those well brian i want to thank you for hanging out for an hour or so if if people want to reach out and follow you where you know how do they what What's My the website's best the best way to reach me. It's just briankellyphoto.net. It's B-R-I-A-N. And Who owns .com? Should we fight oh, them? I'm gonna, yeah, that's a long <laughs> story, dude. That was Somebody snapped it. Like, a, you know, your domain registration? Yep. You can put, like, a holder on it. And if, as soon as you didn't renew it, you could snap it up. And somehow I lost the email that said renew now. So I used to be a .comer, but I'm a... Oh, and you man. lost it. I lost it. Yeah, thanks for reminding me. Sorry. That was Sorry. a long time Merry ago. Merry Christmas. <laughs> Exactly. <laughs> BrianKellyPhoto.net or just search Brian Kelly in Grand Rapids. Uh, the only other Brian Kelly is the football coach, and uh, he's not famous anymore because he left West Michigan. He's in Notre Dame. Sorry. Yeah. Sorry, Notre Dame fans. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, thank you, dude. All right. Thank you. Thanks for uh, having me.